How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 179 of x Labs, And uh, we are back to physical media here. Uh, not It's not an unlimited day, which is always a good thing. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing um, what I think might be the third to last issue of this series, if uh, the solicits are to be believed anyway. This is Sword, volume two, number nine. Set of December 2021 cover date. The story's called Friends in High Places, written by Al Ewing, with art by... Jacopo Camagni, colors by Fernando Cifuentes of Proto Bunker Studios, letters VCs Ariana Mar, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Amaro Biso White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, and this one went on sale October 20th of 2021. Now we open at the Alpha Flight Space Station as Henry Peter Gyrick is welcoming James McDonald Hudson, the Guardian, into the fold. Now, if you recall, during the Hellfire Gala, James looked uh, pretty perturbed when the mutants revealed that they had, uh, you know, the terraformation of Mars. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we did see Gyrick either, like, sidle up to him, or at the very least make eyes in James's direction to give us an indication that there's interest there. Anyway, Gyrick reveals here that he's got a plan in order to get Mars back. James isn't completely comfortable with this. Uh, He reminds HPG that he's close friends with Wolverine. And I think friend might be pushing it a tad, but okay. Uh, Gyrick kind of razzes Mac about uh, using a line somewhat akin to, you know, quote, some of my best friends are mutants, unquote, before going on to posit that Wolverine was not part of the whole mars Araco thing. Uh, That was left to the Omegas, and Logan was probably off getting drunk while it went down. He also calls Wolverine out as being a tool, uh, and, and, you know, not in the, uh, I mean, in the functional and utilitarian way. He's a living weapon who's been manipulated for his entire life. And at this point, Mac is, eh, he's getting a little bit flustered. And he reminds Gyrick that he's on board. You know, he is here, he is part of Orcus. So Mac is part of Orcus. He is, however, concerned with whatever plan that Gyrick is putting into motion, he Thinks, it'll, he's, thinks it's going to fall apart. He suggests that it will be rather difficult to go up against an entire planet of X-Men. And I'm not exactly sure what Mac is trying to gain here by siding with Orcus. Double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include a lot of folks. We got Brand. We got Cable, but it's Kid Cable. How many editors are on this book? Hmm? Uh, we got WizKid, Forearm, Random, Frenzy, Manifold, Neutron, Cannonball, Fang, Manta, Titan, Xandra, uh, Deathbird, Gladiator, Storm, Gyrick, and James Hudson. Next stop, Mars Araco, where the Imperial Guard arrives via the Chandelar Krakoan Gateway. 
Now they're brought here by Cannonball, who uh, thankfully left his awful wife behind. Brand and Manifold observe their arrival from some sort of bendacy, darkened room full of monitors. Abby expresses a bit of disappointment that Storm couldn't be here to greet their guests. Manifold informs her that, uh, you know, Aurora's been rather busy competing in the Circle Perilous. You see, Iraqi warriors just won't stop challenging for her seat in the Great Ring. Manifold claims to no Storm, and he knows that she'll be there when she's needed. I don't know if it's been established that they have some sort of tight relationship we ought to know about. I don't know about it, but, uh, hey, you know, a lot of stuff happens off-panel, right? Anyway, uh, Brand gives a buzz to her new number two... But first, an info page. Here we read Abby's top secret notes on Cable. In them, she claims that she only gave Kid Cable the gig as head of security as a nicety to Scott and Jean. But now, the kid's gone, having been replaced by the old man. Also, Scott and Jean aren't really involved in Krakoa's political hierarchy anymore. Scott ain't a commander captain or a captain commander. Jean uh, ain't on the, uh, in the Quiet Council. They're off doing their own thing here. So, I mean, Brand has really nothing to gain insofar as political stroke here. And uh, she's also no longer, you know, all that keen on having this far more savvy and capable cable under her watch. Especially when we take into consideration how morally ambiguous she's been acting of late. The way we figure, you know, the last thing she needs is cable to undermine and or report her behaviors to those in power. Now, it's also hinted here that uh, Brand has an eye toward perhaps exploiting Nathan's T.O. virus. For what reason? Well, that's not entirely clear, but uh, we could probably postulate. Back to comics, and we get two entire panels of Brand calling into Old Man Cable, who is sitting in, like, her office at this point. And it's a fairly uneasy chat, not all that cordial. Now, I can't tell if Brand has maybe put... Cable on monitor duty simply to keep him out of the way or not? I don't know. Uh, oh, also, uh, it might be worth noting that Brand suddenly has tattoos on both of her arms, which weren't there a panel ago. Is this oversight? A secondary mutation? Your guess is as good as mine. Anyway, back to the uh, welcome wagon here. We've got uh, Fang of the Imperial Guard uh, sniffing the security team, Frenzy, Random, and Forearm. And I think we need our artist to maybe... Take a look at some prior appearances of Random, because he does not look like Random here. He looks more like Morph or Caliban right now. Uh, in spite of that, they all pass the smell test. Gladiator then uses his microvision to take a look at their insides, and he confirms that they're all legit. Xandra is relieved, yet is more than a little bit disappointed that Storm is not here to say hello. Now, if you recall, we had that odd filler issue of X-Men Volume 5 where Scott and Jean wore their old X-Factor costumes... And in it, Storm rescued Xandra from that, like, interloping kidnapper. You may have forgotten that. I almost did. The meet-and-greet is cut short when WizKid reveals that they've got a five-person craft coming threateningly close to Marzarocco. And it's the all-new Lethal Legion. And they look like complete rejects from the cutting room floor of the New 52. <laughs> um, they're almost certainly based off the Fatal Five from the Legion of Superheroes, and so how about we meet them... In an info page. Yeah, we are really wasting an entire page of this issue on this, aren't we? Alrighty, we got Halfbot. Now, Halfbot kind of looks like the cyborg Superman mixed with Beta Ray Bill. This baddie has the ability to induce psychological horror on any foe. 
And it's worth noting that these blurbs that we're getting are coming dangerously close to the Too Clever by Half fractions, if you remember those. Those god-awful math fraction cutesy blurbs that introduce people, you know? It's like, here's a really evil person, and we'll put under their name People Person, you know? Because that's cute. It's not. It's annoying. Next, Mr. Eloquent, uh, otherwise known as me. No, no, no. This looks like whatever the latest monster who will have claimed to be responsible for the destruction of Krypton is. Uh, He's got an atomic chainsaw and five winning personalities. We got the electric head, your generic brain in the jar, uh, without any of the charm of, like, Krang. Uh, This is a telepathic super brain. Orbis Extremis, a woman in a ball, um, can control any element on the battlefield... Or the boardroom. Look out, X-Corp. Well, actually, don't. Uh, Death Grip, a ninja straight out of, like, launch-era image comics, uh, basically does exactly what the horseman Pestilence does. Back to comics. Fang lunges at the baddies and gets his head popped clean off his shoulders by Halfbot. Gladiator orders the crew to show no mercy before he is taken down by the brain in a jar. Now, you see, the electric head managed to sap away all of Gladiator's self-confidence, which is what drives and empowers him. And so he's left, you know, just cowering in the fetal position, second-guessing everything he's able to do. His right to be in charge, his right to lead, yada, yada, yada. Neutron then punches the brain in the jar, but is then run through with Mr. Eloquent's atomic chainsaw, which then looses the micro-singularity that he's got inside himself and, uh... Our man Neutron is basically turned inside out and sucked into his own brand of black hole. Orbis What's-Her-Face then takes control of Random, who punches into Forearm's mouth and then blows his brains all over the battlefield. Titan decides to pretend he's Bobby DaCosta and kicks Orbis like she's a soccer ball. And the sound effect is actually kick, which is kind of cute. Then the image ninja pops in to touch Titan, giving him the pestilence and killing him. When all seems lost, Storm arrives and blasts the bejesus out of the baddies. So I guess our takeaway here is that Storm is more powerful than the entire Imperial Guard elite. Okay then. We zip back to Alpha Flight, where we can see that Mac and HP have been watching this all play out via some nebulous monitoring software. Orbis calls into Gyric and wonders how they could ever possibly best Storm. He calls back to a time where Aurora was without her powers, uh, you know, claiming that there might just be a weapon to get around this. So maybe we're going to have, like, the demutantifying of Storm as a threat. But, I mean, if Gyric can demutantify mutants, why not just demutantify them all? Oh well. We wrap up with Gyric calling into his mole at sword. You remember that subplot that's been dangling for a while? Well, it's revealed here. It's revealed as being... Any guesses? I'll give you three, two, one. Okay, the mole is Wizkid, who takes the call from Gyric while Brand is literally standing like two or three feet away. That's where we leave it. Next episode, we've got Wolverine 17. But let's try to figure out some stuff to say about this issue. Um, well, we had a pretty big fight scene, didn't we? A lot of deaths. From characters who have been replaced many times over and who could be resurrected. <laughs> so, uh, eh, you know, the stakes uh, the stakes are just not a thing really anymore. And, uh, I mean, the fight served its purpose, I suppose, in showing that Gyric and Orcus are indeed um, looking to take back uh, Arako from the mutants. 
I'm not sure I'm completely on board with uh, with Guardian joining up with Orcus. It seems, I don't know, kind of kind of square peg round hole. I'm sure that Ewing's got you know an idea for it, and I'm sure he'll make it work. But right out of the gate, it seems a little strange here. Um, I, I don't want to suggest that maybe he's a double agent because, uh, well, I mean that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be the lion's share of our conversation for uh, this portion of the show, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's hoping to gain. Does he just not like seeing the mutants, um, maybe, in his opinion, abuse their power? Um, maybe just, uh, display their power, flaunt their power? I, I really don't know. I'm not sure what he's hoping to gain here. Is he hoping to drive the mutants away from Mars himself? Like, I don't know what he gets out of that. What does he get about? What does he not get with them being there? What does he lose out on? I don't know. It just seems a little weird. I'm sure I've got all the faith in the world in Ewing uh, to make it work. So we'll see. Now to our double agent discussion here. Uh, I think our big takeaway here is that Wizkid was revealed as being the mole. And as soon as I saw that panel, uh, my BS meter just started to ping like crazy because I am not buying it. Uh, I'm guessing that this will end with the reveal that WizKid's actually been working Orcus all along. I, I For a number of reasons. Um, I mean, he did take the call right in front of Brand, which seems a little suspect. Um, I also just can't see them taking this particular character and making him evil. I feel like WizKid checks off a few too many boxes for Marvel, and to make uh, WizKid a villain... I just don't see them doing it. I really don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but but I doubt it. But let's play devil's advocate here. Let's say, or I guess let's play regular advocate here and say that Wizkid is the mole. Should we care? Should we? Do you? Let's say that there are there is no other shoe preparing to drop, and that this is legit. Wizkid has been placed in Sword to undermine Sword. Right? Do you care? Are you invested in this? Does it matter? If WizKid lives or dies, does it matter to you? Well, maybe, and I mean, this is no fault of the book in and of itself. It's more a fault of the circumstances around the book. Because, you know, if the lion's share of this series wasn't used as set dressing for some larger crossover, and if maybe we'd actually gotten to spend some time with WizKid and seeing WizKid interact with the rest of the crew then maybe I'd feel, I don't know, something? Anything? (laughs) But I don't. I mean, let's look at this series. We're nine issues in, right? Nine issues, and I think this is only, what, the third issue that isn't part of a line-wide crossover? That's That's not great. And that's not to say that this isn't a good book, because it is. I enjoy this book quite a bit. Uh, I, I... I'm not really going to miss it so much when it's gone, but I've enjoyed it. You know, I've enjoyed it. I thought it's been pretty good. It's helped to build the world in a way where, I mean, we've got so many creators involved in the the X-Men line right now. And it feels to me like Ewing is the only one who's actually giving thought to the the more macro, uh, uh, you know, Krakoan uh, status quo. Like, taking things into account with, like, how does this society work? You know, we saw the we saw a lot of the philosophical stuff in Way of X, but here we have more of the, 
diplomatic, political, and uh, procedural. It's not answering all of our questions, but it's answering some questions that uh, were outside of the purview of a way of X. But unfortunately, for most of its run here, it's been hijacked by other stories. We got sucked into King and Black for three issues. We were pulled into the Hellfire Gala. Uh, we just had uh, The Last Annihilation. It feels like we're... <laughs> this, this book really never got to establish its own identity. And so when the big shoe drop moment is predicated on a reveal about a cast member who... How many, how many times have we seen Wizkid? I mean, in, in, in sizable appearances, in noteworthy appearances here. Not just sitting at a computer bank. Not just not saying anything. You know, how many lines of dialogue has Wizkid gotten since Sword Number 1? I'm no betting man, but I would, uh, I would say that it was probably less than 20 lines of dialogue. So why should we be all that invested or outraged or shocked or taken aback by this reveal? It's, I don't know, it just kind of falls flat for me. Not any fault of the creative team, especially when you're only given X amount of panels to fit X amount of characters into. It's tough when you're, when you're being pointed in so many different directions here and uh, you're unable to really focus on the core of the ongoing that you're, that you're writing. And of course, I have no insider knowledge, and at best, I'm making wild guesses here. So I guess we'll see how this ends. Um, we might just have two issues left. Maybe it'll go on break. Maybe it'll come back. Who knows? But uh, in any event, we'll be there for it. One last thing about this issue, the art was kind of uneven. Um, It went from being like, you get some really gorgeous panels, and then you would get some panels that looked like like original English language manga, where like the eyes are kind of cockeyed, and it just doesn't look right. It felt like something, and I mean, I've used this example many times, but feels like something out of X-Men Unlimited. You know, the, the old X-Men Unlimited, the less terrible. And I can't believe I'm referring to those volumes of X-Men Unlimited as being less terrible than something, because they were pretty bad. So yeah, the art was a bit uneven. Uh, certainly not a Valerio Shidi, uh, who absolutely knocked our socks off during uh, much of the first part of this uh, series. But I think that's about all I have to say about this issue of S.W.O.R.D. here. We do have a letter in the mailbag here that I don't really have an exact answer for. Uh, Peter wrote in to ask about uh, the delays, which we discussed during the uh, January solicits segment. Uh, I talked about how basically the uh, Marvel previews was completely out of date because we had a lot of news items drop on us that... Pretty much every book we discussed will not be coming out when it was supposed to. And um, there have been a number of reasons cited on the internet about that. And I actually did a little bit of a pound in the pavement on this. I spoke to three local comic shops to ask them what they knew about these, uh, these delays. And seems like they're getting different answers from all of the companies. So I don't know if this is a, a perfect storm situation or if it's um, maybe maybe the companies themselves don't quite know. Uh, I heard that Image Comics is saying that King Spawn number one sold like a ridiculous amount of copies that they weren't expecting. So they had to like go back to multiple printings 
of uh, King Spawn number one, which pushed like uh, their other books out. I think there might be a paper shortage of some sort as well. Uh, DC is uh, saying something similar, not not so much about having to go back to multiple printings of a comic, but more pointing toward there being a uh, a paper shortage or some sort of a holdup in getting paper to the printers. And I mean, I've noticed that some of the books that I still get from DC haven't shown up in my DCBS here. Though I might suggest that maybe DC's hit that tipping point where, you know, hey, if you're going to put out like 20 Batman books a week, maybe just assume that we're eventually going to run out of paper, right? So when I'm waiting for an issue of uh, Titans Academy to come out, and it doesn't because, you know, we had to print 17 flavors of Clown Girl versus Batman, um, yeah, maybe, maybe plan, maybe a lot a little bit better. Uh, from Marvel, I heard that the reasoning being given had more to do with uh, receiving damaged um, goods. Rather than having a shortage of paper, I guess the paper that was received or the paper that, was, that the comics were printed on kind of got uh, foobarred. So like, there was like a, whole, a whole printing, a month's worth of printing that was unsellable. And if you uh, spend any time on the internet looking for reasons why this could be, uh, you get, you know, a jumbling of the same sort of uh, excuses or uh, reasons, I suppose. So what's true? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, at the end of the day, does it even matter? Uh, all, we, all we know for sure is that uh, we're going to be waiting for our books for quite a bit. I will continue to try to dig up some more information as we... You know, get closer to these delays, and uh, if anybody out there knows anything that uh, I don't, please feel free to let me know, and we can certainly discuss it further here on the show. And if you do want to, you can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. Uh, the audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere you find noise. And, of course, there is the Patreon at patreon.com slash xlapsed, which reminded me that I almost skipped our shout-out section for today. Oh, man, I'm on, like, autopilot here. Let's thank some folks on social media for interacting with the posts that announce this program. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Al Sedano, Walt Neeland, Ed Moore, Dave Schultz, Billy D, Jody Yarden, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, the Deer Watchers Podcast, and Bill at Spy Vinyl. On Facebook, I want to thank Joe Crawford, Jesse D. Young, Jeremiah, Chris Bailey, Pat Sampson, Walt Neeland, Billy D, and Evan Bevins. And on Instagram, I, I, I actually posted an episode on Instagram. It's been like... Six months since I've tried doing that And we got two likes We got two likes We got a like from our friend Mark Jagger And Dayspring over at Power of X-Men And I'm pretty sure I could go onto Instagram And post the Jim Lee X-Men number one cover And get a couple hundred likes pretty quickly But, uh, you know, that's not the way I do things I I always choose the hard way (laughs) Which, uh, you know, it never really bears that much fruit But uh, thanks to everybody for interacting, engaging And helping to boost... The profile of this itty bitty little show. Uh, also, I want to thank the patrons at patreon.com slash xlapsed, uh, Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Neeland, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. 
You are all awesome, and uh, I promise I have more content coming um, probably after the holiday weekend. There'll be, uh, there'll be some stuff I've got planned that should be hidden on the exclusive feeds. So I hope you're looking forward to that as much as I am looking forward to sharing all that. But I think that's all I've got for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh